0: Thank you.
1: Welcome to
2: Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast. I'm meteorologist Kirsty Zontini, And I'm meteorologist McCall Vrydags. This is a podcast all about weather. We are two broadcast meteorologists in Dayton, Ohio. And we just can't stop talking about weather. So when we're not on TV, we figured why not jump behind the mic to answer your weather questions and talk about all things meteorology. Now remember, you can listen to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast anytime you want on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and whio.com.
1: Hey, McCall. Hey, Kirsty, Got a question for you this week. Okay, what's the question? Did you used to watch the news when you grew up? Yeah, of course I did. You did? Uh Uh-huh. Were you a morning news watcher?
2: Yeah, because I was getting up, you know, ready with mom, Mm -hmm. getting ready for school and, you know, watching the same channel all the time. I know. I did the same thing. So, I I mean, we kind of chatted about this a little bit um, as far as, like, how we got excited about weather. Yes. And um, who inspired us. Yes. For me, um, watching the news was uh, watching Al Roker. <gasps> oh, he was my local ow, meteorologist. Was your local man. Yeah, I mean, when you watch uh, the news now. You usually have, like, the network meteorologist that does a little national forecast Mm -hmm. and then says, let's check the weather where you live. Yeah. And then it goes to the local meteorologist. Well, Al Roker was my local, so he would say, let's check the weather where you live. Right. And then he would continue on with our forecast. So I just loved him. And then, actually, he um, went to um, SUNY Oswego, where I went to college, and... So it's just like I've been following a little bit of his path. Yes. um, I actually got to meet Al. You did? When I did my internship with the
1: Today Show. And he is 100% all the time. Is he? Like no matter what time of day you'd see him, (laughs) he is energy, energy all day, Mm -hmm. every day. Um, Yeah, he's a really, really nice guy. I grew up watching Dick Goddard.
2: Okay. Tell me about him.
1: Cleveland legend. Okay. um, And... I watched Mark Johnson. We always watched Fox 8 News in the morning. So, yes, it was morning, but I I feel like I was, like, kind of a – I don't want to say loser. I guess a nerdy kid because <laughs> I definitely watched evening news, too. Um, wow. Get a life. Go play outside. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, so – but that that did because, you know, you see these people on TV. Yeah. And, you know, growing up, you were, like, Effects snow land like I was in Cleveland. Yeah. Um you know, you just think, I want to, I want to do that. How do yeah. they do that? But our guest that we have this week is pretty cool because I feel like a lot of times you just associate if you like weather and you're like, I'm going to be a meteorologist. Well, of course, where well, you got you go on television. Yeah, you're gonna that's be a what you have to do, right? meteorologist. That's like the path. Um, but. Our guest actually kind of just shows there's a lot you can do as Mm -hmm. a meteorologist that is not behind, you know, not in front of a camera. Yeah. And uh, I'll let you take that away.
2: Yeah. I met our guest, Brian Wood, a couple years ago. I went to the Ohio State Severe Weather Symposium Mm -hmm. and uh, just happened to meet him when I was there and was so interested about how much he knew about weather and the fact that, He had this crazy, interesting job. So Brian Wood says he's been a self-proclaimed weather nerd since childhood, like us, (laughs) Kirsty. His fascination with weather led him down the road to where he works today. Now, Brian joined Assurant in 2008 as a meteorologist slash storm damage analyst. Now, if you're not familiar, Assurance is a global provider of risk management products and services. He works for Assurance Loss Drafts Claims Processing Department, that's a mouthful, based in (laughs) Springfield, Ohio. His primary responsibility is to manage all of Assurance clients' weather risk to the mortgage portfolios. Brian works at the intersection of engineering, meteorology, economics, and finance to better understand how homes are damaged. Armed with a large data set, he is working with researchers to prevent damage to homes for future catastrophes. In spare time, he has a storm chaser drive, and he wants to learn a little bit more about it and get the first hand of what severe weather events can do. And we'd like to welcome Brian. Hello, Brian.
3: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, Brian, so your job title and description <laughs> woo, was a lot. I mean, it's yeah. a lot to process, but it is really, really interesting. Um take us through just quickly, I guess, what is what is your day-to-day? I know your day-to-day is probably very different just because you are monitoring uh, weather events across the country.
3: Sure. So I do, beyond just being a meteorologist, too, I do business analyst work. So I, and that was kind of one of the conditions of me being brought on as a meteorologist to begin with was the fact that they weren't necessarily looking to hire one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what they did is they kind of put me in a position to be a business analyst and go through business analyst training. And then also uh, they'd give me more to do work with the weather and claims. They were trying to figure out uh, how do we anticipate claims from storms and how many people we need to have on the phones or processing the checks that come in or anything like that. And that just kind of, I got my foot in the door basically. Mm-hmm. And then once I showed them what I can do with the weather stuff, it really just blossomed from there. That's pretty amazing. So on a day-to-day basis, I would say that I, I start at 730 in the morning I catch up on my emails, I look at my business projects and start looking at weather information, the data. Uh, If I know there's going to be severe weather or maybe a a hurricane, I'm immediately uh, going through and looking at data observation first, Mm -hmm. satellite trends. And uh, I really, one thing I think might be different for me than from other people is I try to hold off on the predictive models. So way down in the process. until I really have a good understanding of what I'm looking at and to make sure that everything is right. And by 10 o'clock, I have and report out the door via email to pretty much everybody in the company who makes decisions mm-hmm. that is weather based. There's a lot of different departments. So they can go on if they need to have plans. If a hurricane's about to come ashore, we think severe weather is going to happen, then they need to have that information pretty quickly in their day.
2: So what type of plans? I know it's out of your hands at that point. You're giving them like the, hey, heads up. This right. could be an event that means a lot of claims could be as a result. What Plans do they put in place after that to prepare? Is it staffing? Is it you know?
3: Sure. So if we know there's a hurricane coming ashore, like Harvey last year, and Irma, Maria, and Puerto Rico, Mm -hmm. we know that we're going to need a lot of people, extra people on the phones. So you can have a lot of people calling within the first couple weeks, Mm -hmm. saying how how can I get my house repaired? Please help. And so we know we need to have as many people as we can get on the phones. And so even before, if we know a landfall is imminent we are already hiring people. We're already starting that process of moving oh. even before it happens. Right. And if it happens to miss or not be as severe as we thought, we can always scale it back a little bit and not hire as many people. But we're already starting that process even before uh, those storms happen. For severe weather, it doesn't drive the volumes as high. There's not yeah. There's not thousands, hundreds of thousands of claims from a tornado or hail storm usually. So it's a little bit different, but the hurricanes are the big drivers.
1: I was gonna say, that, that makes sense. Um, Real quickly, uh, for people that maybe don't really know what Assurant is and what you do there, uh, what is Assurant as a company?
3: So we have a number of different branches of the company that cover all aspects of risk management, financial information. Uh, The specific area I work with is called Global Home. We're focused on working with banks and mortgage companies to help them manage their risk. And the easiest way I explain it to people is if you have a claim and you have a mortgage on your home, Your state farm and farmers type insurers will write a check to you and your mortgage company. Mm -hmm. And then we will work with the banks to help them manage those claims on their behalf. So we work on their behalf. We're not even telling people when they call in that we're assurant. It's just whatever bank we're representing. Okay.
2: And you touched upon this. We were chatting beforehand um, how you actually play a role in those big Harvey type of events. Because you said you went down to Harvey. And what was your role when you went down there?
3: So since we work with those banks, we when there are big disasters like Harvey or Irma or the flooding in Louisiana in 2016, we'll actually go down to the disaster sites and work with the homeowners directly mm-hmm. and try to help them uh, troubleshoot any issues they might be having with contractors or whatever the case might be. We're also actually stamping their checks that day. If, they're, if they come in and we stamp the checks, we'll sign the checks so they don't have to mail it into our office in Ohio or in South Carolina or Georgia where our other offices are. So they can take that money to their bank that day and start that process of repairing. When it comes to a hurricane or anything with a lot of water flooding, you want to start those repairs as soon as possible. You want to take all the wet stuff out of your house because if you don't get the wet drywall, wet carpet, wet flooring out, then mold starts. Especially in a humid environment like Houston where Harvey and Baton Rouge in Louisiana, it does not take very long for mold to start. So time is of the essence and anything we can do to, to help people uh, it's by far the most rewarding part of my job is to actually work with them directly and help them in any way we can. And yeah. it's long hours. It's exhausting, but it's completely worth it.
1: I mean, you literally get to hand them like a piece of hope that's like, here, yes. <laughs> yeah, go go, start yes. working, you know? And,
3: and we streamline the process. They make it very, very simple. They're already pre-approved when they come in. They've already called into the customer care folks who are on the phones, and they tell them to come to this location where we'll be at because it's easier to stay in one place. Instead of going out and trying to help people in different locations, we can help a lot more people. And so when we do that, they're already pre-approved. We're there, we're working through it very quickly. A lot of people are just, they can't believe how easy it was because they've had so many problems with their insurer Mm -hmm. or, or a contractor trying to get a contractor, which is always a big problem. After a massive hurricane, you have a shortage of labor and and materials even. So we give them just a glimmer of hope and say, wow, that was easy. Or, and if they still have problems, how can we help you? we just want to send them away they walk in stressed tired they're usually coming in taking a break from their job if their job's still there if their if their place of work wasn't washed right. away which happens a lot in those type of events too so just giving them that little bit of hope seeing them walk away with a smile on their face is just amazing yeah cuz i
2: can't imagine you know and those like you said is their job still there is the post office even right. there you that's, know what i mean that's like, like the mail so or, or yeah. yeah can the mail trucks even get yeah. in or get out and that, and knowing that like that, that panic yeah. of, yeah. like, I need this and I have to do it, you know, paper-wise. Right. You know, I have to mail it. We're yeah.
3: very careful about after those events when we're talking to people on the phone is we know where they live. We know where their damage is. But most people either live in an apartment, a hotel, or go find a family member whose home wasn't damaged. So we're telling them, where can we mail this to? We want to make sure we get it to you because if they're not at their house, the actual I mean, house... That envelope with the check might be just sitting on their porch and yeah. someone can come and grab That's it. Terrifying. So you've got to make sure to verify that, hey, this is where I'm actually at, even though my home is damaged somewhere else, I'm over here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we got to be really careful about things like that. We're really good about hammering that down.
1: A lot of, um, of course, the biggest impactful events when it comes to weather, you know, hurricanes, flooding. Um, what about, do you get busy? Do you have a Busy season, is winter maybe not as stressful for you guys when it comes to, you know, those big influxes of claims, which makes sense. Hurricane season is probably crazy, but, yeah, you know, is there like a downtime or not busy season?
3: Yeah, you hit it on the head. Winter time is slower for us. Yeah. You know, if you have a really vicious ice storm where you have like an inch of ice accumulating on trees and trees start falling and power lines, then you'll have power outage claims that can cause some issues. Uh, But a general snowstorm like a nor'easter doesn't cause a ton of claims. Okay. Uh, But what we will have from time to time is like the freak snowstorm where you had like 100 plus inches of snow over a week or two in Buffalo. That will cause roofs to have issues. And in Boston a couple years ago where they were about a month where they were under freezing Mm -hmm. and they had a number of snowstorms that the snow never (laughs) melted. So it's putting pressure on the roof. And for homes that are not insulated. The, the heat will escape up to the roof and then melt the lowest layer of the snow and then it'll ice up. And we call them Ooh. ice jams where they they will jam up the ice. And then when everything starts melting, it does action on the roof. And then water can start trickling into their house just because the snow, the there. pressure <laughs> and the ice, everything combines I bet to he's start.
2: referring to, we had Shiri Spear as our yeah. last guest. Yes. And she was talking about in Boston, they had over 100 inches of snow that, that winter. Absolute, and it has to exactly. be it probably that, was that, year. That,
1: that year. That was the one.
2: Oh, God. Are are there any, um, because we have listeners all across the country, um, is there any particular event that stands out to you?
1: Yeah, that either was the most rewarding for you or maybe was the most, uh, like, that really took you back? Like, you were like, oh, my goodness.
3: When I first started, I I really didn't have a lot of knowledge in the insurance world, and I was trying to figure it out. And when we were looking at just our overall trajectory of claims, I found out that 60 to 65% of our claims come from hail almost every year without fail. And there are really big snow or big hail storms that'll happen, and then you have a bunch of smaller hail storms, and it all adds up. Mm-hmm. But any more, now we're seeing. Uh, last year, we had three storms that were two billion dollars in damage oh. just from hail. Wow. Uh, one was in Denver, one was in Minneapolis, and one was in the northern suburbs of Dallas. About a fifty-mile-long swath of hail. Oh, one gosh. of the really cool things I can do uh, with hail is I can map out those claims and actually show where the hail damage swath is, much like we see tornado damage swaths yeah. that the National Weather Service produces. Well, I can do the same thing with hail just based on the claims on the homes that we... And
2: we the reason with. you can do that, because we talked about this when we first met, is because you work with all the different insurance companies. So they can't do it themselves because they only have like a group of they're, homes that yeah. they're yeah. insuring. But you can take all that data from all the companies and have a better map right. of what's happened. Wherever our,
3: wherever our clients are lending money to people buying homes we have. So pretty much any major event, I have a really great statistically significant sample of information that I can talk to a storm. For instance, uh, we had a big hailstorm in Dayton in 2011 oh, yeah. on May 25th. And it was from about the Springboro area all the way up through Xenia. And it caused about $600 million in damage. <sighs> it's the costliest hailstorm Ohio's ever had. Wow! And I was able to figure out that information because of what I do and Realize how big that is. It's it's pretty big for a state like Ohio. It's not common to have a hailstorm of that size here, mm-hmm. you know, dropping baseball or softball size yeah. hail.
2: <laughs> and so Brian is not just your everyday like like he mentioned earlier. Just got into claims and then yeah. learned about weather. He's yeah. a meteorologist. Why don't you talk a little bit about your path because it's very similar to ours yeah, we're as far all, as your education. We didn't that walk led a you straight to this line.
3: Yeah, I went to Ohio State, uh, actually went the year, 2002, the year we won the national championship with Maurice Claret and company. <laughs> nice. that, was, that was a fun time <laughs> to be there. And I was actually there one of the few days they've actually ever canceled class was uh, one of the days before Valentine's Day. It was a Sunday evening. We had about 12 inches of snow, which is huge for this area. Yes. You do yeah, not get not, that kind of snow. No. Yeah, no. Right. And uh, they canceled snow, or they canceled snow, they canceled school <laughs> the next day because of the snow. And uh, we actually had a massive snowball fight on the Oval that (laughs) night, and there was over 2,000 people there, and it was amazing. So, yeah, I and part of the reason why I didn't finish Ohio State was because I was more involved in that social stuff. I got caught up in the social aspect of school, and when I actually went to class, I was good, but the problem was I didn't always go to class. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So so I I was not ready for college, if you want to just be bluntly honest. I wasn't ready. Yeah. And uh, so I left, and I— kind of meandered around, did some odd jobs and ended up at Assurant and kind of talked my way into being a meteorologist. They weren't looking to hire one, as I said earlier. So I took on some business work. And then uh, because of the fact that Assurant has a tuition reimbursement program, I'm actually back in school at Mississippi State getting ready to wrap up my bachelor's degree. Yeah, that's
2: awesome. Yeah. Bulldogs. Yeah, Ale State. Yeah, you guys have a connection. That's
0: my
3: SEC school.
2: (laughs) There you go. So you've used your knowledge of weather not only to work for Assurant, you are a storm chaser as well. Yes. And why don't you talk a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, so as I started that job, I had a lot of great data. I had satellite, I had radar, I had claims data. Mm -hmm. But for me, I'm a very visual person. And so I thought, I really need to start chasing storms. That See, I want to see these in action. I didn't care... If it was a storm without a tornado or with a tornado or hail, I just wanted to see it for myself. Yeah. And in 2011, actually the day of that major hailstorm here in Dayton, uh, there was a high risk uh, for severe weather in Illinois. I drove myself all the way out to Illinois <laughs> when I could have been basically just in my backyard. Never, yeah. yeah, wasting all that gas. <laughs> and uh, I just got drawn in by the high, the high risk by yeah. the Storm Prediction Center. And every storm that went up merged together very quickly and was awful Awful mess, and I could have just stayed here. Uh, so I, it was off to a rough start. 2011's when I started, and actually uh, in 2012 was a day I was supposed to go to the severe weather symposium at Ohio State. The year before, I think I met you, and they we had a big severe weather outbreak in this region, just more a little bit to the southwest mm-hmm. of Dayton than us. And I decided to forego going to the severe weather symposium and just chase. Yeah. And I really. Just had a feeling the warm front was going to move through Indianapolis, but there was an area where there was a boundary where the clouds and the sun had kind of delineated and there was a lot of heating
0: yeah. and cooling, the differential heating boundary. <laughs> yes. And
3: so we, I, I just had a feeling it was about 20 miles north of, of Louisville, Kentucky. I said, if I go down to that part of Indiana, I'm going to see something. Now, the jet stream was very... Fast, that day, So mm-hmm. all the storms were moving fast. I wasn't going to be able to chase per se. I yes. was going to have to pick a spot and look, S-
1: stay there and hope that because yeah. you
3: don't you don't chase storms in southern Indiana. There's trees, there's hills. You find an open spot yeah. where you're safe, a couple miles away, and sure enough, the storm started and they started uh, merging together near Evansville. Tornado warning started going up, and I decided to park myself on near I-65 north of Louisville and watch these storms come across. The tornado sirens went off, which for me the the hair on my neck stood up because the radar looked very violent and I was, I, I knew something was going to yeah. happen. You just, it was an air yeah. e- of inevitability about yeah. it all. Yeah. And so I was just outside of the Hoosier national forest. you never want a storm chase in a forest. <laughs> <laughs> so all the trees flying around, you don't want. Yes. So Nor can you see it? Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, you
2: also have a
1: horrible visual. <laughs>
3: yes. So I, I actually started on the I-65 and kind of creeped north. I knew the storm was about ready to cross the interstate and all of a sudden it came from behind the trees and this is, big monolith just sitting on the ground and it was it was frightening it was exhilarating frankly when you're a meteorologist you always read about that stuff i just got a chill go down my spine just talking about it (laughs) again uh but then i looked down at at my radar app on my phone and i saw this little dot that said henryville and i realized that storm was heading right into this town and it was early march so the sun angle was pretty low you could actually the sun was shining underneath the storm there was no no leaves on the trees because it's still early in the season and all of a sudden I start seeing what looked like sparkles in the air. And I realized what I was seeing was parts of homes being thrown up and the sun was reflecting off of it. Oh, my goodness. And I realized at that point that that town had been hit. And yeah. my heart sank. The only other time I felt the way I felt that day was when I watched, uh, when I watched 9-11 on TV when I was a senior in high yeah. school. That pit in your stomach, you know something really, really terrible just happened. Yeah. And I had that feeling. And my first instinct was to run into town and try to help as much as I could. And I looked at my radar, and there was a second tornadic supercell running along that boundary right behind it. And so I stopped myself on a hill. There was a church on a a hill looking down over the city, and the wall cloud on that storm was so low you couldn't see underneath it. It was just scraping the ground. Mm -hmm. And as it turned out, there was an EF1 tornado in that one as well, but thankfully that one didn't hit the town directly. It came a little south. But as I was sitting there, I turned to my left, trying To keep when you're storm chasing, you want to keep situational mm-hmm. awareness, so you want to look all around you to make sure nothing is coming behind you. And I see this curtain of white, and I go, Oh no, that cannot be good, that's that got to be hail. Yeah, yeah. that's hail. Yeah. And so hail was actually coming down in uh, what we call for the listeners a rear flank downdraft, where the winds are coming down the back side of the storm mm-hmm. and coming around the tornado, basically, for a lack of a better phrase. And I realized I had to start driving very fast, and I drove fast uh, <laughs> above the speed limit you always Sorry, have an escape route yeah. yeah yeah you always have an escape route when you're storm chasing and i try to keep it if the storm's moving west to east you keep a north to south yes. route so you go south very quickly you can get out of harm's way quick mm-hmm. but the hail started falling and it got about to the size of quarters which is where the size where cars will get damaged yes and i was kind of resigning the fact that my car was going to get damaged and then police sirens or lights and sirens behind me and mind you i'm going over the speed limit. I won't right. say how much. <laughs> I was going I was I was in a, a little bit of a panic and so I thought, well, I'm going to get pulled over in the and middle hail hit storm with a bunch and, of a hailstorm yeah, right. bu-
1: and an officer please don't get out of your car. I yes. Promise you won't want to. <laughs> get back in. Get
3: back in. <laughs> oh, it was a miserable feeling. And yeah. so all of a sudden the hail stopped and the cops went flying past me and I was like, "Oh." oh. Thank goodness! And yeah. so I stopped too, and the cops stopped, and they looked at me and they said, "Are you a storm chase?" We got out of our cars. Yeah. I said, "Yeah." They said, "Are we okay to go back into town?" I said, "Yeah." Oh. They were trying to get out of the way because oh. they knew there was a yeah. tornado warning and the hail, of course, too. And right about that time, a caravan—about maybe ten to a dozen ambulances—came back up the other way. So you,
2: you kind of like gave them, yeah, it be like okay, to
3: be good. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Uh, I think they would have the figured it out. The comfort that they yeah, yeah, but, they wanted but they wanted to I reassured them, I guess, sure. Yeah,
1: that's like nice reassurance. That's insane.
3: And so I went into town and tried to help, which really you can't unless you have a chainsaw because there are trees down in the. Yeah. They need to get to people. And so I just kind of wandered around and talked to people. And after I was done with that, realized there was no one I could really truly help. Uh, walked around and took pictures of all the damage and went back and looked at the homes that our clients have in that area and mapped that all wow. together. But that whole ride home was us. I saw, I'm not a crier, but I sobbed the whole way home Aww. because. <laughs> When you see people in pain and yeah. physical ailments are just heartbroken because they're a little town that they're so used to. I mean, Henryville is probably about a thousand people. It's like one of our tiny towns yeah, out, yeah. out in the country and everything that they know about their town has been kind of ripped apart and it's heartbreaking to see. Yeah. And so I went back to work and I started talking with some managers and we created a, uh, I basically told that whole story only over an hour and talked about, uh, and we worked that into an empathy presentation because we have a number of people at our location specifically are the people that you talk to on the phones when you're calling in. And we, so what I did, I got a little bit of a better understanding of what it's like that day. You'll never truly know unless it's mm-hmm. happened to you. But I, I got a little less ignorant, I guess you could yeah. say. And so I share that with them to help them understand what these people are going through. When they call and upset, you know, they're not upset at you. Yeah. Their circumstances are pretty dire. And here's what it's like to be there right after it happens.
1: Yeah. Wow. So that, that's, A, that's... Gr- It's a crazy story. But then it's (laughs) also wonderful that you were able to take what you had learned and like you said, you know, empathy is key. And you were able Mm -hmm. to shed light on all of you know the coworkers that you have that yeah, when you're just on the phone, you feel you lack a personal connection sometimes. But maybe they'll think of your story and the photos that you took and the the people of Henryville. And that can, you know, hopefully help them do their job a little, a little better, and, and make someone else feel a little more comfortable, or mm-hmm. that they're being heard. Because it is, it's so
2: traumatic, and yeah, that and, and it's, it's very comforting, as you said. That's the best word to yeah. know that the person that's on the phone, if I've just gone through a traumatic experience, can be emotional yes. with me and understand that it, this was a, a trauma that I had to just deal with, mm-hmm. right. and you're not just some random person on some line that's just going through, going through their the daily grind or the steps and, or and not really right. caring. Yeah, um, Kind of off topic, but not. What I thought was quite interesting is when you were talking about the rear flank downdraft, these are things that we tell a lot of people um, when we're on air yeah. tracking severe weather, um, especially tornadic activity. Sometimes even if the... Uh, circulation part of the storm has already passed you. The reason you we tell to you to watch. stay in your basement is because of not only the potential of hail, but the rear flank downdraft can produce damaging winds, winds. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and it can yeah. be dangerous, and that's why you have to wait until the storm is completely clear yeah.
1: until you literally get that all clear because you don't want to step outside yeah. and get hit with the hail or like get hit with another straight line wind. damage.
3: Sure. and I've I've mapped tornado damage in some of the major tornadoes: Joplin, Moore, mm-hmm. and Tuscaloosa. And about 20% of the claims we see actually come outside of the tornado path, mm-hmm. the rear flank wow. downdraft. But even the inflow, this winds moving into the storm before the tornado even comes, mm-hmm. if they're, they're violent tornadoes, they're ripping shingles off in the inflow, trees are still falling in the inflow. You actually will see, if you look at satellite pictures, south of the tornado damage just trees laying down, going into mm-hmm. wow, the tornado. Yeah. And so that, even though it's not the, the violent damage you see, it still accounts for a good portion of the damage, even though it's not technically the tornado.
2: Yeah. And, of course, on the north side of the storm where you see the highest reflectivity, what appears to be rain could be a serious hail core. Yes. Yeah. And that's, as you talked about, where you get most of your damage claims yeah. Yeah. a lot yeah. of the year.
3: We, uh, I was part of a group last year that storm chased in Oklahoma and Texas with the Insurance Institute of Business and Home Safety. And that's one of the things we were looking at is the onset of hail. Uh, just north of where, I guess you would say, where the tornadoes be would be or the updraft mm-hmm. and the interface of the precipitation the updraft and placing actual probes on the ground about every half mile or so, letting the hail fall. And then we're going back and collecting that hail and measuring it, weighing it length, width. And then they actually have a $30,000 3D scanner where they can 3D scan the hailstone. Oh my and then they go back to their laboratory where they do research on how homes get damaged they can actually completely recreate a natural hailstone because they make that mold. They fill it up to the right density because hailstone has air in it too. So yeah. it's not just a solid just thing solid, of ice yeah. or water, frozen water. So they can actually faithfully recreate real, real hailstones and then launch them out of a hail cannon at roofs. And so I got to be a part of that. And it was amazing. Oh you go from no hail to baseball-sized hail within a mile very wow. quickly. And then it goes away within another couple miles depending mm-hmm. on how powerful the storm is.
2: That is really, the research for that is, oh man. I'm it's jealous. a little harrowing. And, uh, yeah. yeah. That's insane. I'm a little bit of a nerd and and I'm jealous over here. Yeah. yeah. You getting to see that. Well, because then it's just is like that. A, like the understanding of what the hail can do.
1: And then B, how can it damage a home? How can you make a better roof? How can you build yeah. stronger shingles? Exactly. Because it all trickles down from being able to have that research.
3: Right. And when, when a hailstorm hits, even if you don't get hit by a severe hailstorm, let's say it doesn't damage a roof, but. Let's say you get hit with like quarter-sized tail and it does no damage. Mm-hmm. It'll still knock granules off your roof, uh, and it makes it more susceptible to be worn down quicker. And water can get involved, and so it actually will still weaken your roof, even if it doesn't have very noticeable like damage. ding it, or anything like right.
1: that. It's still weakening it. Oh my um, gosh, we could talk to you forever. I was going to say right, and we're <laughs> and just going to keep forever. going for three hours. <laughs> yeah, but sadly we cannot. Yeah, um, we do want to talk. McCall got a question, and th- I think this is a good transition since sure. we. Literally coming off of you talking about storm chasing, um, McCall. Let's let's dive into that question that we got because yeah. we okay. If you're not in Dayton, um, we had a severe weather event, our first of the year, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, we had two tornadoes that were produced. It was April third. Mm-hmm. Uh, McCall actually covered it, yes, live on air, and uh, was uh, tracking it. And it was an it was a day. It was a setup that.
2: You know, Brian touched upon in that sense, feel, you know,
1: the the look, the warm front to our north, the feeling of, Ooh, if we get those clouds to break, we're going to get that differential heating yeah, we under a moderate risk, we which to, is which rare for, for us, us. Yeah, for yes. Ohio, we don't really get thrown into moderate risk from the storm prediction center, and we were. Um, so it was a day going into it. The winds, you know what I mean, the shear for that day as well. Um, was definitely a setup that we in, in our department were like, mm, this could be a day where we actually mm-hmm. get tornadoes out of any any well any supercell really that we had to, or rogue mini supercells are not really going to get well any rogue wine. storm could quickly any build. rogue storm yeah. could quickly take on those characteristics and that those were going to be the ones that we wanted to really watch for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this this question is perfect, actually.
2: Yeah, so Andrew Hutchinson sent me a question through email. And keep in mind, if you have any weather questions, yeah. email us, email, Twitter, Facebook. Yeah. We will answer them. Um, and he asked uh, about the fact that there was no classic hook echo or pretty visual clues for the average person to see on radar. Um, what did we know um, about this unkempt line or this messy cluster of storms that uh, allowed us to know that it could go severe, if not tornadic. Um, so there are a few things. And one, Kirstie touched upon in the fact is that we have to look at the ingredients of the day. Yeah,
1: look at the setup.
2: Um, the and Brian, you could probably talk a little bit about like when you're going to go storm chase for the day. What kind of things are you looking at before we even get any storms on radar?
3: I'm looking for storms that are not in a line. Yes. <laughs> yes. When you storm chase, yes. When you storm chase, I mean, there there are some who chase squall lines more power to them. I have no desire Uh -uh. to -hmm. get wrapped up into that. Uh, You want something that you can move around and be safe in sunny skies or cloudy skies that are not raining or hailing or anything. Basically, you can get out from underneath the storm very quickly, which in a line of storms that's moving fast, you can't do. Yeah. So I'm looking for storms that would be individual storms away from lines.
2: Right. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what we saw on that day. The sunshine came out. We knew the ingredients were there. um, Shear was there. Yeah. And then, um, of course, then the watch was issued, the tornado watch. Right.
1: So for an average person paying attention to what are you, what is your area under? Yeah. So we go under a tornado watch for, you know, once again, Ohio, Mm -hmm. like this is a, you've got I saw a meme and it was um, watch versus warning and it was all <laughs> the ingredients to make a cupcake that's the watch yeah. the cupcake that's the warning yeah. so we had the we had the cupcake ingredients yeah. ready to go that watch was triggered um, so for an average person just knowing are you under watch are you under a warning are you under severe thunderstorm warning because on a day that we had a tornado watch basically any severe thunderstorm, you want to just assume, just go. Just don't be standing outside. You know what I mean? Treat it as if that tornado warning could get triggered.
2: Yeah, the tornado watch is going to be issued on a day when we see rotating conditions. These are events that we're not necessarily tracking a squall line event initially. Right. Um, and as Brian mentioned, when you start to get those rogue cells that are popping up and you're in a tornado watch, those are the days that you really need to yeah. watch. Then, of course, you need to use other products. Radar is not going to tell you yeah. all the time um, that there's the potential of a tornado. Sometimes you have a rain-wrapped tornado and you're not going to see the classic hook echo. Yeah. Sometimes there's so many uh, storms like we had in uh, the beginning of April where they kind of congealed together. It,
1: did. it was It was the parent storm, and then it like kind of just blended up with the line, and mm-hmm. just became a blobby mess. That if you're not, <laughs> yeah. if you're just looking mm-hmm. at reflectivity on your radar, you're just like, well, well, they're everywhere. I don't know. Yep. you
2: know. So I think one of the first indicators before that tornado eventually uh, was produced was the fact that it was throwing out some hail.
1: Um, Preble County, the hail core on that was. Yeah. For us. Hmm. I mean, I was like, whoa, whoa, okay.
2: <laughs>
3: was it quarter-size hail? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: We don't get that all the time. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And that was fairly obvious looking just at reflectivity that you yeah. could see um, the bullseye, but you need other products, mm-hmm. which
2: one of the products, of course, you hear us talk about a lot, and I know Brian is using with his uh, radar on his phone, is Velocity. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's going to show us if winds are actually rotating in the storm. Yeah. If you have a couplet. Yeah.
1: Christmas, not a good thing. Not
2: a good thing. When the red and <laughs> green get very close together, very
1: then... <laughs> it's super simplified, but it's true. I'm yeah. sorry. And, you know, it, it had a very well-defined couplet that was...
3: Mm-hmm. Especially after I got out of Yellow Springs. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, was try- I was trying not to chase that day. Mm-hmm. I got out of work at 4.30, which is about the time it moved through Dayton. And
2: and you're located in Springfield. Yeah,
3: I'm in Springfield. Yeah. We work in Springfield, and I was trying to get home to Fairborn. And my thought was, I don't want to drive down I-70 in the rain because I can get, get kind of messy with the trucks. I'll just go the back way through Yellow Springs. I'm going to try to get south and ahead of this. And then it just kind of wrapped up in that green and yellow right. you talked about. It happened really quickly. I did a U-turn in Clifton, yeah. at right near the mill, and went up Old Clifton Mill Road and just kind of rode it out a little bit further north. And sure enough, I drove back in. There was branches all over the place. Yeah. The tornado had started ripping trees out. And uh, actually, one of my co-workers had a number of trees fall in his yard. He was about 50 yards north of the tornado mm-hmm. over See? near Clifton
1: winds oh my goodness yeah
2: and then of course there's products when we're we're um saying for sure that because raid uh velocity will tell us that there's a rotation doesn't necessarily tell us that it's on the ground right exactly it's the potential and that's when the warning will be issued regardless um but then we use a product that's called correlation coefficient and and that can indicate debris
1: right right um and of course storm reports Mm-hmm. Um, law enforcement, when they're out and sure. they're spotting, and they can say, We see a funnel cloud. Well, then at that point, that radar indicator rotation has now taken up to another notch. Um, so, yeah, we, of course, in Ohio in particular, I feel like a lot of times, and we've talked about this, and we're actually going to talk about more about it on our next podcast mm-hmm. um, QLCSs. Like we get a lot of lines, we get a lot of squall lines, and we get yeah. a lot of kinks, and we get those quick spin up tornadoes. We don't get um, a very defined visual here's just one cell that is, a hook you know, echo the and hook echo. You, we don't always get that. Um, so that makes it, that makes our severe weather days messy and it makes them, you know, you just don't want to let your guard down. I feel like right. we have a lot of severe weather days that might never mm-hmm. be more than a severe thunderstorm, which is still a lot, but yeah. you know what I mean.
2: Yeah.
3: There's a lot of people who treat that as a next year down, the severe thunderstorm warning, but you can still it's have not, winds blow right? out your windows. If you're looking out your window and a tree branch comes through, right. it's going to cover you in glass. There's still things you need to st- still need to stay away from the windows and still get exactly. towards a safer spot yeah, in your house. There's nothing wrong with going
1: downstairs yeah. for a severe thunderstorm warning either. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So great question. Yes. Hopefully that w- hopefully we helped you a little bit with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, this was Brian. This was I know. Thank you so whoa. much. Thanks for having we'll me. We'll have a Brian part two, I'm sure, now. You know, I mean, my mind I is blown. Combat. I
3: love talking weather. I don't have anyone else at work that yeah. is a meteorologist, so <laughs> <laughs> it's good to sit here and geek out for a little bit.
1: Wonderful. Um, We're going to do a quick wrap-up, Brian, that you're probably, you know, maybe you'll be interested in this. Yeah. We love the sky, of course, and we love space as well. So uh, for April, um, the end of the month, April 30th, you will be able to hopefully find, if clouds cooperate, looking east after sunset, the moon and Jupiter are going to be pretty close. So that's a, a good evening planet. Um, keep in mind, it's not going to twinkle. To know you're looking at a, mm-hmm. a visible planet, it will shine pretty steady and fairly bright as well. So you'll be able to tell it's not just a star. Um, and then
2: we'll call we've got another lineup. Yeah, uh, in early May. Uh, Moon, Saturn, and Mars will line up at the beginning of the month. On May 4th, 5th, and 6th, look to the southern sky before sunrise. Um, On May 4th and 5th, the moon will be closest to Saturn. On May 6th, it'll be closer to Mars. So that'll be something I always like to see when they line up. I just feel like there's something special going on.
1: It is neat. And we've got a lot of local uh, photographers that do a great job shooting all those planets. So if you do, use the hashtag SkyWindows7. And then in May, just uh, mark your calendar. as well Cinco de Mayo meteor shower who doesn't like that mm-hmm. um, the, the pre-dawn hours of May 5th the Ada uh, Aquarids meteor shower will be peaking unfortunately we have a waning get, give us moon so it's going to be real bright mm, it's gonna um, kinda and we out. of course don't have a time really when the moon will set before the meteor shower is over but I don't care if there's a meteor shower I always say go outside and look mm-hmm. and you could also look the morning of the 6th as well oftentimes around the peak you can still find your stray meteors so Cinque de Mayo.
2: Yeah. And those of us that are astronomy lovers, um, our next podcast, we'll talk a little bit about some events that are coming up. Uh, The Miami Valley Astronomical Society is a great group of people that you can... um, Mm -hmm go out and look at the stars yeah. and the planets. And uh, hopefully we'll get to talk to the president, which is Linda Weiss. If not, she did send us an email talking about some of the events. And we do have one that's coming up. I don't yeah, know.
1: there's um, some stargazing that you could do Saturday, April 28th. So once again, whenever you're listening to this, yeah. <laughs> don't show up at uh, John Bryan State Park unless it's April 28th. <laughs> but they do uh, some amateur stargazing from 830 to 10. So we'll do more of a breakdown as we get closer into summertime mm-hmm. of some of these events for you. Um, But Brian, again, thank you so much for joining us. You're a fantastic guest. Don't forget to rate this podcast, write a review. Mm -hmm. Um, You can listen to it multiple different ways. uh, But we hope that you listen to it. Find it on iTunes, whio.com, Stitcher, as well as Google Play. And uh, we'd we'd love to get those reviews and and to write us a, a quick little message of what you think about
2: it. Well, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.